This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. I'm so excited about today's show because I have a very special guest all the way out from the UK joining me today who is doing some incredible work that to me is super, super inspiring. So welcome to today's exciting show with myself, Lauren Jacobs. It is Voice of Change time. And you are here on Cape Pulpit. I think you already know that because you've been here the whole afternoon. Come on, settle down, settle in. We're going to get warm and get comfortable. Get that cup of tea or get that coffee going. Uh, You know, it's because it's just going to be a great show today. I am going to be joined on the show by Chava Erlanger Rosenweg. Now, Chava is actually an artist, an incredible artist, and the managing director of Chava Art. She's also a freelance artist with a demonstrated history of working in the fine art industry, skilled in contemporary art, painting, and, you know, she's done a lot of museum exhibitions. And you know what? Yes, it's about art, but it's also about art therapy. Now, Chava has also used art in her work with Holocaust survivors, with survivors who have used art to communicate their stories and also to really tap into remembering those stories in a way that's not just using words because sometimes when, you know, our stories and the things that we've been through in our lives have been so traumatic, like living through the Holocaust, surviving the Holocaust and the intensity of what happened in the Holocaust. Sometimes there are no words and those words can't be accessed because that's what trauma does too. So Chava has used art for many, many years to help survivors access their stories, remember their stories and also heal. She's done so many beautiful exhibitions, powerful exhibitions that not only, you know, are visually there, but they also are there to educate. They're also there to speak to the truth of the stories of survivors. And it's a very unique reality that Chava is involved in. It's a very unique kind of world that she has. And I think it's so inspiring to know that you know in our world today we see war happening as we sit here ukraine is still at war and not only ukraine but burma congo mozambique you know all over our world there are wars taking place and people losing their lives and people becoming refugees like in syria and in sudan and other places even here on our very own continent of africa War is taking place all the time and people are affected by war and refugees are everywhere. And we have the highest number of refugees around right now in our world than there has ever been before. And not only are those refugees running away from war, but they're taking that trauma with them. So today's conversation with Chava, yes, is about Holocaust survivors and it is about their stories. But it's also a challenge to us to know what kind of society do we want to create and what kind of world do we want to live in. And that is why today's conversation with Chava is so inspiring and why it will be inspiring to both you and to me. And I cannot wait to have her with me. So don't go anywhere. I'm going to give you a short music break so you can grab that cup of coffee. Because once you sit down and get settled in, you're not going to want to go anywhere. So enjoy some music. 
Chava, it is so good to have you with me today. I am so looking forward to such an important conversation that we're going to be having, but also something that you are so passionate about, your incredible work that you're doing with art and art therapy. But before we get into that, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being with me today, all the way out from the UK. Um, hi, thanks for asking me to be on your show. It's a real pleasure. Um, I've never been to South Africa, but it's my second time um, giving a, 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 you know, a lecture or talk or interview, and it's a real honor. Mm, that's so cool. Well, hopefully one day you'll make it out down here. I'm sure, you know, I'm yeah. sure you'll really, really love it. So it is, it is just so incredible how we can connect, right? Like just across distance yeah. and just over important realities and just life stories and life journeys and how we can connect. And I know you did an important talk as well. I think it was, it was definitely this year. I remember it for the Holocaust Museum here in yes. Cape Town, right? So yeah. That I'm sure, you know, was probably quite an important moment. I know our, for those listeners who don't know, our Holocaust Museum and the Holocaust Center here in Cape Town is one of the biggest of, on the continent, and it is such a powerful space. I really encourage listeners to go and visit, you know, and talking yeah. about the Holocaust survivors, speaking about their stories. However, that is something that's been on your heart for such a long time for many years your involvement so tell us a bit about how you got involved in kind of helping survivors remember and record their stories but using art as a medium and then just moving with that yeah um okay so I think actually my connection started since I was born as I'm a granddaughter of holocaust survivors one a camp survivor and one a hidden child in Holland. So um, the Holocaust has been a big part of my life and shaping who I am as a person. Mm. Um, talking about my art journey, um, for a long time when I started studying art and researching art and how we use it in society, I tried really hard to move away uh, from the subject of the Holocaust. I've tried quite hard to do sort of normal stuff, if you can call that, mm. and normal art. Um, and one day I was sitting when I was doing my last degree in Manchester, in, uh, Manchester University um, in MMU. I was trying to do something about the local um, industry and I was drawing and drawing and I was just feeling stuck and frustrated. And all of a sudden what came out of the drawing was uh, a train and some smoke. And at that moment I realized that in order to create meaningful art, there has to be truth, truthful to who I am. Mm-hmm. And I realize how powerful it is um, expressing your feelings and emotions um, through art. And that's when I started researching really the effect of Holocaust on second and third generation and how we can use art as a tool to capture history and mm-hmm. um, to express trauma and, and pain. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And at that moment, when you started looking into the the effect of, you know, the Holocaust, I would love to know more about that on, on the second and the third generation. I'd love for you to tell us a bit more about that. What did you discover? Because obviously, oftentimes we are talking about Holocaust survivors and that story and their story is so powerful. But sometimes, and I have met individuals who have said that, you know, their grandmother or grandfather went through the yeah. Holocaust, but don't want to talk about it. 
you know, there is that uh, reality and, and we hold space for that as well. But how does yeah. that really, how does the effect of the Holocaust affect, like you said, your granddaughter, I'm a survivor. How, how do you feel like there is quite an impact that it leaves on the generations that come after? Um, so it's an interesting one. I think what we're realizing more and more now um, in, in general psychology and, and, and general when we talk about trauma is that trauma can be uh, worse, can be, uh, uh, you can be worse affected by trauma when you're a bystander rather than one involved mm-hmm. and directing the trauma because, um, and again, not minimizing the trauma of people that have been in the camps, but when somebody's seen the destruction, they've seen the end of things, there's a so- certain closure. When you broke up with a lot of stories, a lot of what I call the black holes, the emptiness, mm-hmm. there are all different things and all milestones in your life, um, like, you know, like happy times, you know, like weddings, bar mitzvahs, um, mm. you know, a family gathering. But there's always the sadness. Um, I always felt there's always like the black hole, the sadness that hangs around and the reminder of those that are not here, those that have not made it. Mm. Um, and it's very hard to process trauma you have not actually experienced yourself. Um, so I think, and then where we see, when it comes to survivors in the UK, you can see that the difference between kids of kinder transport, for example, which came in the beginning of the war, left the family behind, mm-hmm. they have a strong feeling that they've never had a closure because they sort of were abruptly removed from the mm-hmm. war. And then, you know, mom and dad told them we're going to come back and they never came back, you know. So they sort mm-hmm. of, they came into what they call the heaven of the UK you know, uh, went to the countryside, but actually everybody expected them to be happy. You know, you are the survivors, but they've yeah. never actually seen the war or seen closure. Now, I'll share with you a little story of a, a lady. Her name was Margit. She came from uh, Austria. Mm-hmm. And um, she told me her parents, when they put on a train to Kinder Transport, they said to her, you go to England. When the war is finished, we'll come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, she passed away a few years ago. She was 99, a, a remarkable woman. She said to me uh, in Manchester, the, the large uh, train station called Piccadilly Station, she told me till today, and that was like a year before she passed away, she used to go to the train station and look in all the windows to see if her mum would come home. Oh. Mm. You know, she said, I, she said she would come, she never came, she disappeared. So I think secondhand trauma is much harder to process and mm. to understand, but we can't, and I think it's a real responsibility from governments and Mm. and human beings um, to realize that we inflict pain on one person. Um, the effect of it is, is, is far reaching. You know, there's a ripple effect on, you know, the whole, you know, everybody around them and generation to come. And it's a, a, it's mm. a, I think it's an important lesson for humanity. It's not a Jewish problem, if you know what I mean. Mm, definitely. And well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I was just thinking of what we are witnessing currently in Ukraine you know, and, and the war that we see there. And I I have friends that have gone over and have been working with the refugees, you know, and just normal individuals that just felt that they, the more that they were watching and the more that they were hearing, they don't have any, you know, friends that are in Ukraine. They don't have family members in Ukraine, but they feel like the more that they were watching or hearing, they couldn't just stand back and, and observe that. And watch. Yeah, they couldn't just watch that. So it was just about putting themselves out there and just going, even if it was for a week. Uh, some of them went to just, um, you know, do certain things. And, and a number of them went to just hear refugee stories, just to be with yeah. them so that they can hear their stories and, and for people to have a place to share their stories. 
And, and I think that's uh, so important. Yeah, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to touch on. Isn't that so important? And one of my friends was telling me when when she was speaking to you know, people who had yeah. become refugees, who had left their homes. And like you said as well, people that maybe haven't seen the war, but they had to leave. One of the yeah. things that they kept saying was, we don't want people to forget about us. We don't want the world yeah. to forget about us. And that is quite a, quite a deep thing to say, isn't it? And to have space where people can share their stories. Um, so, yeah, thanks for saying that. I think it's a very important thing. Uh, during COVID, I was involved in a very interesting project called, um, they did COVID stories. And I think COVID has probably been the largest event that affects, you know, the most, you know, the whole world yeah. since Second World War. And they've done here a project where they recorded stories as and when the pandemic was, you know, there was um, uh, oral um, history and it was as and when, uh, you know, stories have evolved. And, um I think what was very interesting that generally in history until now, we only recorded um, history generally from children's uh, eyewitnesses or when people are older and they start talking. Mm. And they're both very distorted um, truth, if that makes sense. Um, Because, you know, kids see things in different proportions and older people, obviously, the memory phase. And I think what I realized, um, because I was very involved with this project, I realized that now, you know, a year on um, after COVID, when people, because I was shielding for two years with my son at home, so I was literally home for two years, mm. was quite badly affected by COVID. But when now people ask me already for time scale, uh, for details, it seems quite blurry. Yeah. And I think the way, and I think that's the fascinating thing about humanity and about our power to move on. But in the same time, it is, um, as you said about the situation in Ukraine, it is extremely important for us to record history, mm-hmm. to make sure things don't happen again, because human, is, human memory is very short. History has a short memory. Yeah. And it's easy to forget. Mm. It's easy to forget. Mm. Sure. And, and I think what you're talking about with COVID as well is probably s- something that so many listeners can connect with and respond to and it was so yeah. interesting i i had covid exactly a year ago and it, yeah. i i had covid really really badly and I, yeah. i'm really grateful and and I'm, I'm really really grateful that i never landed in hospital i have no idea how i stayed out of hospital but i think it yeah. was divine it was a divine intervention because i was really yeah. ill with covid and the funny thing was that in the week i was cleaning out my cupboard and i found the medicine container of the medicine yeah. I took during COVID. And uh, it was really quite an interesting thing because I almost felt quite, it, it just had these really negative, well, I don't feel like emotions are negative. It's what we assign to it, but this uncomfortable emotions coming up and I just wanted to throw it away because it just felt like yeah. such a traumatic time. And that medicine container reminded me of what I went through exactly yeah. a year ago. A family member of ours also died during that time and of COVID. And yeah. it's so incredible, isn't it? How we live through these things. And like you're saying, we just we kind of adapt, don't we? And we move on yeah. because we're resilient. We, we were created to be like that. But the trauma and the reality of what we go through, it's still inside of us and it's still in our memory. And there has to be a space for that, maybe for us yeah. to talk through that. So I love that you were involved with that project of sharing those COVID stories. And yeah. um, I know that there have been some people that have done books as well here in South Africa, books, you know, about yeah. what, did, what happened to you during COVID, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that it's, it's, it's good to have space as well, just for the, 
inverted commas, normal stories. Like I got COVID and I survived, but it yeah. was very traumatic for me as well. And I think it's very important what you said uh, about it's very traumatic for me. Uh, one of the things about war and disaster and pain, people have the tendency to sort of, there's nearly a competition who suffered more, who has more trauma. And mm. I remember always what my grandmother would survive. Auschwitz always said, how do you measure pain? By time, by length, by, by death. You know, everybody's pain is pain and your trouble are your trouble. And I think what's really important, though, if we, if we go back to talking about, um, you know, the Holocaust and trauma or the COVID and trauma, you can relate it all. Because I think really the way to keep the stories going is take the Holocaust and talk about the stories of humanity and how the trauma affects individual people. Mm. And also, um, if you spoke about ob um, objects, uh, one of the things I've, I've done um, through working with survivors is uh, digitalizing artifacts because I think, and one of the things that worries me about our paperless society is the fact mm. that there's no papers, <laughs> you know, everything is so digital. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think objects are a good way for people um, to relate to, mm -hmm. you know, to deal with trauma, to relate, but also to tell stories. So, you know, telling stories through objects is really important and powerful. And that's mm -hmm. why I like printing things off, even though I know it's not very green. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think we need evidence from things and we need. Yeah. Um, and that's why I also like the whole idea of using art because it is such an honest, uh, true self-expression of oneself. And uh, with my work with survivors, just this week, it was interesting. I'll just share with you a little mm -hmm. anecdote. I work with a lady, her name is, um, well, I won't tell her name because she doesn't want, she's very private about mm -hmm. her name. Uh, it's a French lady. She was hidden, a hidden child through the war. Um, her grandparents went to Auschwitz. She's now a great-grandmother several times over. Mm. And she told me the last few weeks she couldn't sleep she suddenly realized she's never given space um, in her life for the fact that she lost her grandparents she said they just vanished one day and now that she's a great grandmother she says I realized what they've never had they never got to see their grandchildren married they never got to see their great-grandchildren they've lost out and I have lost out she said I survived but I lost out on the experience of having grandparents mm. and we created this very very powerful image she was drawing uh, a cattle, uh, um, a train, uh, cattle train, you know, um, animal cattle. We call them. No, I lost my word in English, but you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with people inside, with the smoke, she drew the names of her grandparents and the aunts she lost at the war. Um, and then she did the other thing at the bottom of the painting. So you have the the, the train going towards Auschwitz, the smoke, the chimney. And then she drew all green grass. She said, life just goes on. Mm. They, they disappeared and life just went on. And I've never given them the thought. She said, how awful is that? So there was this whole expression of survival guilt, um, you know, realizing she's mourning now, 70 something years on, she's wow. mourning the loss of her grandparents now and what they lost. And, you know, all of this is through putting it in an image. And it's so much more powerful than just words. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people can't find the words um, mm. to express themselves. Um, and I think just the fact that we have evidence, she keeps on telling me while she's working, this lady, she says to me, you are my witness. Remember, it's your responsibility wow. to make sure this never happens again. And I think as we see what's happening in Ukraine now, uh, our memories are short. Yeah, 
Exactly. <laughs> you know. And and it is so. We think here, you know, on the continent of Africa, we think of just what ha- what happened in Rwanda, you know, in 1994. Yeah. And our memory is really short because we saw similar realities happening in Mozambique just recently. Yeah. And that's on the border of South Africa, right where we are. You know, our memory is so short, and we. I think that was such a powerful statement that she made to you. You know, you. You are the witness here. You're bearing witness and you have this yeah. responsibility to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I think it is that it's it's a challenge to people to kind of remember and to open up their eyes. And and all of us, we have a, a history. And I think that our families have a history. All of our families have a history. Yeah. What however complex our history is, or however I believe that you know, most people have this complex history of yeah. You know, most of us do. We, we've we moved around and there's been a lot that's happened. And it's that challenge to say, you know what, I need, there are certain things that I need to remember, not to get down about it or to get stuck in it, but to know that, yeah, yeah I, I have a responsibility in this world. I have a responsibility, you know, to humanity and to the people around me. And I kind of think that I want to just pause with that point and say to the listeners yeah. that we want to take a really quick music break because we kind of want you to to allow that to settle. I think that that is such an important point that Chava just brought up to us to say, you know what, we do have responsibility and what does it look like right now in this world where we are living, even in our society or in our community. So we're going to take a really quick music break. We don't want you to go anywhere because yeah. we're still going to have this conversation and we're going to get deeper into the work that Chava has done and some of the stories and the lessons that she has learned from survivors. So don't go anywhere. Yeah. You're with me, Lauren Jacobs, you're on Voice of Change. And I am joined by the incredible artist and also art therapist Chava. And she's joining me today and we're talking about We've been talking about war and the reality of war, but also, of course, Holocaust survivors, as well as their stories, as well as the impact of the Holocaust also on second and third generation. So if you're just joining us, you missed out a little bit, but don't worry. You know, this is the place where we want you to be. Now, Chava, I wanted to ask you a bit about yeah. the lessons that you have learned, which is probably a, a pretty big conversation, probably a, bit, a pretty big question, right? Because you've been doing this for a long time. But have there been yeah. key lessons or things that you've taken away that you have, again, borne witness to when working with Holocaust survivors? I want to say that working with Holocaust survivors as well as their families, it's very unique, isn't it? And it's, it, it's, yeah. it's really a calling. It's really, like you said, something that, you know, you're kind of I think of it's something that's to. stronger, yeah. Yeah. Stronger than me and, and it just, yeah. I love that. I love I think- it. I, I love it because it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really is unique. And it's, it's the first time I've heard someone say that they're actually working with Holocaust survivors or they have, you know, obviously there are spaces that are created to commemorate and us to remember the Holocaust and the survivor stories. But tell us a bit about the lessons and the things that you've been learning on the journey on the way. I think it must be quite life changing yeah. for you. Uh, yes, I think one of the most important and actually uh, amazing lessons which I find, uh, which always fascinates me, is I hear over and over from survivors that always say not everyone was bad. Um, mm. Maybe some of them were forced to take part in the war. And it's a very interesting one. I've watched an interview actually in, uh, of a Ukrainian soldier in his late 90s. And he kept on saying, I was just there. I followed orders. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think about it very, very um, sort of, you know, on a, a very matter of fact. And I thought, you know what, he was probably 18, 19 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking people have to follow orders, otherwise their life's more in danger. Um, so there's one thing, and, and I think the fact that the survivor can say that. Um, so one of the survivors, when I worked with her, she drew a soldier. And she drew the soldier with a blank face. No, no expression on the face. She left it more or less like just, uh, she covered it with a cap. And I said, why don't you give him a face? And she says, well, I always think maybe he didn't want to be part of it. Maybe he didn't mean to. He just followed orders. And I think that's amazing. If someone that's gone through all the pain can still give a doubt, benefit of the doubt, wow. and see the fact that some people were forced to join. Um, I think that's amazing for us to always give, you know, I'm saying it's a difficult one because uh, yeah. I said this can be a talk for an hour. So that's one of them. And the other thing um, is the fact um, when I think about, uh, you know, families that, that hid children and, you know, uh, my grandmother was hidden in Holland. And I remember as a child, there was always uh, a picture of a lady called Truss on uh, my grandmother's uh, cabinet. Mm-hmm. And every time we came in, my grandmother used to say, you see Truss, you're here because of Truss. And I used to think, oh, not again, this lady, you know, you know, born in Israel, (laughs) this lady, what does she want from me? And only when I, when I was pregnant with my first son, which is now 27 and getting married in two weeks. Mm. um, Yeah. So when, when, um, when I I was pregnant with him, I went to Holland and I met the family of Tris. And I remember suddenly being, you know, expecting my first child, understanding what this woman has done. And once my son was born, um, I, I remember thinking again about the fact families that res- risked their own life to save other children. Mm. And I had a very deep thought myself and I thought, I do not think I would risk my own family to save someone else. I was actually questioning, would I actually do it? And mm. the answer is, I'm not sure. Yeah. Because one of the discussion in Holland was about only some people save. Uh, children and I, I, I'm not sure I would do it I'm being very honest and yeah. frank about it and I think that's an important thing to remember that those that did um, um, agree, you know those that did risk uh, save people actually risk not of the, just their lives mm. but the whole family they would have all been shot if they were caught and yeah. um, so I think it's about about realizing that people did go out of the way mm. um, so that's one I think two of the you know powerful lessons um, I've I've, I've learned really mm-hmm. and another thing is maybe a less positive one but an interesting one is there's a lot of heroin stories about holocaust survivors mm-hmm. i worked with a, cha- uh, a gentleman called um, mr Lipschitz. he passed away he went through something like six or seven concentration camps he had a horrendous story wow. uh, when i first heard this story it's uh, i needed a bottle of wine to go to sleep it was the worst story <laughs> yeah. i've ever heard in my life it's wow. um, I, you know mm-hmm. um and you know, one of the things he said, there's a lot of stories about how everybody, you know, people in the war were all so nice to each other. And he said, actually, he said, what happened in the war, he said, they, they were dehumanized. And he said, what was dehumanizing? He said, people always think, you know, you talk about luxury, a car. He said, it was about the basic needs, having a clean toilet, mm. you know, something to eat. And he said, we were all reduced to animals. You know, like he said, we were like ants looking for a crumb of bread. And I think it's, again, talking about social responsibility, which human being, and this is not about religion, and this is not about race, or, or it's not a Jewish problem. As human beings, who are we to think, and we so quickly judge each other, and I do it myself, mm. you know, 
my kids call it when I dissect people. Um, mm-hmm. We all do it. Um, yeah. But they, you know, but we don't think and we don't realize somehow who are we to have the right to take away one human being for another their, you know, the lives or even something like the basic needs, you know, like the food, the drink, freedom of movement. And we do it. The governments do it. We do it as individuals. Yeah. And I think it's scary. We, we have this so quickly, we can destroy people's lives and generations to come. And it's as a responsibility. And we have to think about it and realize, um, you know, how, how, you know, how detrimental it is and how much damage it causes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a powerful lesson. It's one that probably many South Africans can resonate with as well. We know that we have a complicated yeah. history here in South Africa, and a lot of that was done as well by the government that we had. People's rights yeah. were taken away and, and you know, even homes destroyed and the complete areas destroyed because it was, yeah. you know, certain kinds of rules were instituted and it, it was, it's really something to consider and it's something to think about for the future. It's something to, yeah. to think about for our present as well and to think, you know, Again, it's that it's that challenge that we have to say, what kind of world do we want? What kind of community do we want? What kind of society do we want? How do we do this? And again, touching on something that you were saying earlier on, again, I was thinking about Ukraine and I was thinking about yeah. how we see kind of, and it's inverted commas, Russia invaded Ukraine. But then yeah. sometimes people then begin to think all Russians are bad, you know, and then there becomes yeah. that hatred towards one one group of people, whereas maybe that's not what is happening. We know thousands of Russians have protested and said this is not their yeah. war. It's not what they want. You know, it's not, it's not, they're not there. They're not fighting. They, they themselves are getting arrested and put into jail and they themselves are going, we don't want this war. And so it's for yeah. us to, again, like you saying, we can't judge. We can't sit and go, well, all Russians are bad or all Germans were bad. Or, yeah. and, it, and it's, it's, a cha- it's such a big challenge, I think, as people, we're always segregating, aren't we? Segregating like, okay, that one's like that and, oh, they must be bad or, oh, those people yeah. were so bad or all of those people from all of that place there or that country is so bad. And I think it's a, it's, a, it's a human problem, like you're saying as well. It's not just a problem of one yeah. people. It's actually, it's actually all of us that do it. And, and we often do, and we, we need to practice that truth and be honest with ourselves that we do get like that sometimes yeah I, th- I think it's interesting because when I was doing my research one of the interesting points I, I realized is that human beings or us uh, you know the human race yeah. we persecute and hate each other for things we have no control of which is mm. our race our color and where we were born and mm. religion at times I mean religion is an interesting one because being Jewish is the only religion and ethnicity uh, where other religion you can be you know you can't separate you know if you're yeah. born Jewish it's also your ethnicity but generally we hate each other and prosecute each other for things we don't have control over you know we're born who we are mm-hmm. with yeah. our skin color and the location we are and it's quite interesting it's we nearly hate each other for things we don't have control over um mm. so and I think we have to stop doing it as as as, as human beings but you know Mm-hmm. I think that's that's so awesome to just share that point as well. I also wanted to ask you, you know, there's there's a lot that's been spoken about over the kind of over the last few years as well about people coming forward and, and denying the Holocaust, which I know is becoming yeah. something that is 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 quite intense. How do you understand that when people 
have that idea or say, well, the Holocaust didn't really happen or, you know, it wasn't really there. There's been films made about this as well. And it's very, very interesting. How do you understand it? You know, having worked with survivors and again, having family members who are survivors, how do you, how do you understand it? How do you feel about this? So I think that's an interesting one. I think um, when something so great happens, it's nearly impossible for the human mind to, to, um, to accept that it happened. Um, so I think it's, it be, I think COVID is a good lesson. I remember when first the stories came from China and people talking about a massive, uh, you know, pandemic and everything's mm. going to shut down. And, and I remember thinking, oh, that's ridiculous. This could never happen. Yes. And then while it's happening, you think this is not for real, yeah. you know, and, and there's a disbelief and a sort of disassociation. So I think there's part of that, which, which is just the human nature. Um, and I think if I haven't actually met as many survivors and grew up with as many survivors as I did and heard so many stories, perhaps it's easy to say this is made up. And I think especially when there's so much conspiracy theories, um, you know, we live in now in a generation where kids don't believe anything they see. We believe films, the kids now, they know it's all made up. Everything is so virtual. Yeah. So that's, and again, that's why I think it, it is easy to deny And that's why it's so important to have things like architects, recordings. And I think in the same time, there will always be deniers. Um, And exactly what's the origin of it? Otherwise, I mean, some of it might be, uh, you can say, anti-Semitism. Some of it would be Mm. self-preservation. You know, people that the families have been involved. And I think there was a a rabbi in Israel, which was a Holocaust survivor. He died, I think, 30 years ago. His Mm -hmm. name was Rafshah. And they asked him, um, how do you feel uh, being have been prosecuted during the war? And he said a very powerful sentence in Hebrew, and I'll try to translate it the best mm-hmm. I can into mm-hmm. English. He said, mm-hmm. I'm happy I am from the nation being prosecuted and not the persecutor. Wow. Um, and I thought that that's a very, very powerful um, thing mm. to say. And I think there's a lot of truth in it because I think being, you know, being a child or living with the guilt of your family, your nation, being, you know, a murderer, a killer, a mass murderer must be much worse because uh, the guilt is just endless. How do you ever get away from that? Um, So, yeah. Well, uh, you know, Chava, I want to say thank you so much for being with me. On that note, I remember a couple of years ago attending a, an event where a it was it was quite incredible. There was a German man there whose family had been, you know, part of the soldiers who yeah. had persecuted Jewish people, and it was an event where he really wanted to stand up and 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 ask forgiveness. And it was actually for Jewish people as well as a yeah. lot of uh, different people from other religions came as well, you know. But it was actually positioned yeah. for that, and it was just incredible seeing this. He was actually already in his 80s, this old man. He was, yeah. he just carried that guilt. And and to just see as well, though, you know, it, it was just an incredible event. I don't think I'll ever forget it because he was yeah. just hugging all these Jewish people and they were just hugging him and everyone was crying. And it was just incredible, though, that there was this bridge that was built between people. Yeah. And uh, But he really yeah. felt like he needed to make this public declaration and ask for forgiveness even though he hadn't de- done anything he was a child yeah and it was just it was just incredible and Chava, I, I just want to say thank you so much for being with me today it's been such a beautiful conversation that we've had I feel like 
so inspired, really, even though it's a hard topic to talk about because we know the Holocaust is heavy, but it is it is just inspiring. And I feel so grateful for the incredible work that you are doing, that you have done and that you will continue to do. And so thank you so much for being with me today. And thank you for this conversation and for, you know, sharing some of these lessons with us as well. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks for asking me uh, to speak to South Africa. And hopefully one day I can come in person and uh, speak to people and, um, you know, see the work that's done in South Africa. Absolutely. Um, That would be super, super cool. I hope so. And please let us know if you do. Please let me know if you do ever come and visit. It would be so great to meet up. So, Chava, thank you so, so much. And take care. Thank you. Have a good night. A couple of years ago, I was going through a very, very intense time and I actually went to see an art therapist and together with her, we explored a lot of things that I could not put into words through using art, through not only using art, things that I had to draw, but just even looking through a magazine, taking out pictures and creating a board of pictures that I just, you know, pulled at my heart somehow. I didn't know why, I didn't know what they meant, but I just put them on this board and we explored it together. And there's such power in the objects that we see. There's such power in art that we create from the places within us that need to be given a voice. And so maybe for you, that is something that you need to explore. I know many people today need to talk and they need someone to listen to them and to hold space for them. No matter what you're going through in your life, I want you to know today to not sit there and say, oh, you know, I'm going through so many things. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. And life is hard. But you know what? I don't have it so bad. I don't have it as bad as someone else. I'm just going to try and and just get through. I'm just going to try and be grateful. Sometimes that response is very much a human response that we have. But sometimes that response itself is a trauma response because we're not allowing ourselves to be given that space where we can really access our own stories and look at our own traumas so that we can heal them. And I want you to know today that there is space to do that. You just have to be able to do it with the right person and to find that person that is a safe space for you to be able to access those places within you. And I pray that if that is you today, then you will find that right person to take that journey with because that journey to exploring your story as well as healing through the things that you have had to live through or maybe even the things that you've witnessed because that in itself is a deep lesson that Chava shared with us today. Being a bystander of trauma is is so, so impactful to us in many, many ways. We don't have the closure sometimes of what we've seen and borne witness to. So we need to have a place to explore what we really feel. And I pray today, like I said, that if that is you, that you'll find that space to heal. I'm also incredibly grateful for people like Chava who are continuing to work with survivors and their families and to help bring truth to those stories. I believe that we will see that happening in our future too. It can maybe come from our children or our grandchildren who will one day be working with survivors of the wars that we see in our in our world today. The things that are affecting humanity, the war in Ukraine, the war in Syria, the war elsewhere, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show. It is those things and those realities that we will also need to kind of document and bear witness to 
so that we can help people who have lived through those situations come to a place of healing. Stories are important and telling our stories, speaking of our testimonies is very, very important because it can bring hope and life to someone else. So I pray that you have enjoyed the show. It's been an incredible blessing to be with you. Next week on the show, I am so, so excited as well. I'm just excited about all my guests. You know, I'm so excited to be joined by Professor Beth Alpert Nakai. And she's actually a professor of archaeology who specializes in Israelite women. And it's all going to be about what do we know about biblical Israelite women from archaeology. Mm, It's going to be such a treat. So you're going to want to be here next week, Thursday. See you then. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.